The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a looper in the left center field. This is going to get down for a base hit. Here comes Phillips. He will score the tying run. In the third goes Rosarena. It's an 8-8 to game, and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show. Today, you'll hear from Jonathan Aranda on his first Major League Homer and the family of Gene Ramirez and the great work they're doing in the mental health arena. We'll chat with Doug Wechter of Valley Sports Sun. Rays field coordinator Alfredo will discuss instructional aid. Head of pro scouting Kevin Eibach will be with us to discuss scouting plans leading into the postseason. Plus, we'll discuss the catchers with Paul Hoover and keeping the pitching staff on target with Kyle Snyder. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and our featured guest this week is Jonathan Aranda, joined by translator Manny Navarro. Thank you so much for your time. Conmigo están Jonathan Aranda y Manny, gracias por tu tiempo. No, de nada, un placer estar aquí con usted. No, no problem. It's been a pleasure being here with you guys. This was a very special week for you. You hit your first home run. Tell me about that moment. Uh, esta semana es uh, muy especial para ti. Uh, tu, tu, uh, teni, uh, tenías uh, tu uh, honrane primero. Uh, ¿Cuál es uh, el momento que significa para ti? Bueno, fue un momento muy bonito para mí. Bueno, fue, se sintió muy, muy especial. Eh, dar ese primer honrón yo creo que es algo que, que todo jugador que va empezando a Grandes Ligas lo desea. Bueno, yo creo que fue tan emotivo como, como el día de mi debut. No, that was uh, very special. Um, it was very exciting to, to be able to experience what every ball player wants to experience is hit their first home run. So that was very special for me. Is that your favorite moment in the big leagues? ¿Es tu momento favorito en las Grandes Ligas o tu uh, primer, primera línea? Uh, ¿Qué es? No, no es mi momento favorito, definitivamente mi momento favorito es mi debut, pero sí es algo muy especial y muy significativo poder dar ese, ese primer honrón. Uh, no, my favorite moment, my favorite moment was my debut, uh, but that was definitely a very special moment for me. The home run, you had also a moment because Alejandro Kirk was there. Tell me about your friendship with Alejandro. Uh, es un momento especial tu, tu primero honrón porque uh, el receptor es Alejandro Kirk. Por los Jays. Uh, un amigo que ti, sí. Sí, fue un, bueno, una, una, un día muy especial en eso porque la relación conmigo y Alejandro Kirk es, es muy grande, una relación de más de 20 años. Crecimos juntos jugando pelota y crecimos juntos en el terreno y fuera del terreno. Nos consideramos como hermanos y bueno, dar mi primer honor enfrente de él es algo muy, muy emotivo. No, it's very, very special. We've known each other for a very long time, over 20 years of friendship. Uh, we played together. Um, on and off the field, on the baseball field and off the baseball field, we spent a lot of time together. What, what did he say to you? ¿Qué dijo uh, a ti? Bueno, que, que estaba muy contento por mi primer jonrón y me felicitó. Yo creo que era todo lo que, lo que él podía decir. No, he said he was just very happy that, he, that I was able to get my first one and that he was just very happy for me. That was all he was able to say. This year has been great for you. Why? Uh, este año es muy especial para ti. ¿Por qué? 
Sí, es muy, es muy especial para mí porque, bueno, gracias a Dios se, se cumplió mi sueño de llegar a Grandes Ligas. Fue un proceso muy largo, casi siete años. Pasé por todas las sucursales que, que han habido en Tampa. Y bueno, fue algo muy difícil, muy duro, pero al final lo pudimos lograr. Este, momentos como dar primer, mi primer hit, mi primer turno en frente de mi familia, dar mi primer jonrón en frente de mi mejor amigo, yo creo que es algo muy, muy emotivo. No, it's a very special, you know, very special moment, especially, you know, everything that I've gone through in this organization. It's been, you know, seven years uh, with Tampa, being through there, and I've gone, I think, through all the obstacles uh, to get to this spot, and I think it's very special to be able to accomplish these goals, to get my first hit in front of my parents, to get my first home run in front of one of my best friends, so that's very special for me. Tell me about your family. Dime sobre tu familia y significa para este año uh, para ellos. Bueno, mi familia muy contenta, muy contenta, pudieron estar aquí mi primer juego en Grandes Ligas, era el primer, el primer juego que me veían en Estados Unidos y bueno, se, se, se sienten muy contentos porque ellos saben todo el proceso que pasé, los momentos difíciles, ahí estuvieron ellos, y bueno, yo creo que, que este logro es parte de ellos también. Uh, it's, it's very special, very special. I know they were here during my first game to make my debut, and not only were they there for my first game, but that's the first time they were able, ever able to see me in person in the United States to play professionally. So that's something that I think with them, uh, they're also accomplishing something through me. And your mom, she played basketball. Did you ever play basketball? Tu, tu madre juega el baloncesto, ¿sí? ¿Tú jugaste el, el baloncesto? Sí, mi mamá fue mi, mi entrenadora. Yo creo que que llevaba el béisbol y el básquetbol a, a la par, pero cuando yo me, me decidí irme por el béisbol, eh, ese día fue mi último día de, de básquetbol. Yeah, she was actually my, my basketball coach. You know, I was playing both basketball and, and baseball, and, and the day I decided to, to take the baseball path was the last day I played basketball. So why did you choose baseball? ¿Por qué elegiste béisbol y no el baloncesto? Porque el béisbol era algo que me gustaba, que me apasionaba y lo disfrutaba demasiado cuando, cuando lo hacía. Este, y bueno, yo creo que, que por este lado fue lo que, lo que más me gustó, el ambiente, y fue por eso que yo elegí el, el béisbol. Uh, I liked the, the, the baseball a lot more. I was more passionate about it. I had more fun. Um, and it was just something that I, I enjoyed doing more, you know, the friendships you made and just the culture of the game itself. This week was special not only for you but for this whole team. Este semana es muy especial uh, por, para ti y por este equipo en, en todo uh, porque uh, los uh, todos los uh, jugadores en el lineup esta semana uh, de, de Latinoamérica por el día de Roberto Clemente. ¿Qué significa para ti? Bueno, fue, fue algo muy bonito tener esos nuevos jugadores en el terreno de juego, verlos uno como latino desde aquí adentro, apoyarlos es algo muy grande. Yo creo que, que ojalá más adelante se pueda dar tanto aquí como en otros equipos, pero fue muy, muy emotivo más en un día tan especial a, para los latinos. It was very beautiful to see, you know, the, Latin, the nine players from Latin America being out there, uh, especially being off on the side, watching it from the outside looking in. I think it will hopefully be a, a motivation for Latin players from here on uh, forward. What does Roberto Clemente mean to you? ¿Qué significa Roberto Clemente uh, para ti? Bueno, es una, una persona que, que motiva a todo latino porque por lo que hizo dentro, dentro y fuera del terreno, yo creo que nos llena de orgullo y nos, y nos motiva a ser como él. Uh, everything that he did on and off the field, he just motivates you to want to be like him. You know, it wasn't necessarily what he did on the field, but as uh, what he did off the field motivates you to be a better person. And you have a couple of teammates on this team from Mexico. Uh, what does that mean to you? Okay, uh, Tienes dos compañeros de México en este equipo. ¿Qué eh, es, les significa 
por, por esto. Significa mucho para mí ver a gente en mi país eh, representando un equipo aquí en Estados Unidos en el mejor béisbol del mundo. Y bueno, son gente que yo, Randy, que yo conocí este, en los tryouts con mi equipo de Tijuana y paredes que yo jugué contra él cuando estaba más chico. Bueno, es algo muy, muy grande que lo, que, que lo han podido lograr y están aquí. No, es definitivamente muy especial poder jugar con dos compañeros de la misma país. Randy y yo ran into each other en some tryouts down there, and Paredes and I have been, we played together back when we were young, so it's very special to see these guys, and it's very motivational. You're a special hitter. What are your strengths? Uh, uh, tú es, eres un bateador muy especial. ¿Cuáles son uh, tus puntos fuertes? Bueno, yo en lo personal me considero un bateador de contacto que puede jugar con, con todo el terreno con cualquier picheo y con un poder ocasional. Uh, I would say I'm, I would call myself more of a contact hitter, uh, trying to use the whole field, uh, and more of a contact hitter than I am a home run hitter. And if you weren't playing baseball, what would you be doing? Uh, cuando no estás jugando baseball, ¿qué, uh, qué estarías haciendo? Uh, cuando no estoy jugando baseball, lo que me gusta hacer es hablar con mi familia, ver cómo están, con mis sobrinos, eh, con mi novia, pasar el tiempo Uh, viendo Netflix videos, yo creo que así es para, para también para distraer un poquito la mente. I'm, I'm not playing. On, uh, I'm talking on the phone with my family, talking to my nephews or my girlfriend, uh, watching some videos on Netflix or anything, something to distract myself from the game. What what shows are you watching on Netflix? ¿Qué programas en Netflix ahora? Bueno, el, el que estoy viendo ahora mismo se llama Manifest, Manifiesto. Yo creo que es el, el que ahorita el que estoy viendo el de momento. Right now, the whole show that I'm watching is called Manifest. Uh, and it's just one of the shows I'm watching right now. All right, well, congratulations on your home run this week. Continued success in the big leagues. Uh, felicidades por tu primer home run y continuo éxito. Muchas gracias a ustedes por el tiempo y muchas gracias por todo. Thank you for, for the time and thank you guys. And that is Jonathan Aranda. And we will continue on This Week in Rays Baseball in just a moment. You are listening to the Rays Baseball Network. On this show, we've spoken a lot about mental health after bullpen catcher Gene Ramirez was lost to death by suicide this offseason. His parents, Tony and Carlos, are here this weekend to promote an upcoming walk, and September also is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. I chatted with Tony about having them visit Tropicana Field. We're here just to come check on the guys um, this weekend and then next weekend. But then in October 8th, we are going to be walking at the NAMI, the National Association of Mental Illnesses. Uh, we're going to um, have Team uh, Ramirez 98, and we are going to be raising funds for uh, the NAMI. It's going to be in St. Petersburg College in Clearwater Campus. And we have a team, so we have lots of people uh, joining and we're raising money for them, so we're excited about that. How important is it, you know, you, you when you touch this, you have turned such a difficult situation into a positive to come back and help continue to raise awareness for mental health? I think every time we're able to help someone and to change someone's life, it's very meaningful. I think we keep Gene's memory alive by doing that. I know that he would be very proud of us turning something negative into a positive that can impact other people's lives. Since we saw you back in May uh, and they had did so many good things here in Texas, back in, in your home state, how did all of that touch you and what did it mean to you and the family? It has been very special, um, especially, you know, we miss him every day, but knowing that he impacted so many people's lives, it's a blessing to us. Um, it helps us cope with our grief and remember him every day. 
What does it mean to you're going to be part? You said as a walk here in Tampa Bay to further support awareness and and how many people do you have already on your team? Uh, we have nine people on our team so far. If some of our listeners would want to be part of it, tell us how they can because we've probably got plenty of Rays fans who will listen to this interview. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, our team name it's uh, Team Ramirez ninety eight. So all they have to go is go to the NAMI walks your way uh, Pinellas and find our team and they can join that way that would be great and you know obviously I think I'm sure the race have been supportive of the team and the thought and I'm sure it's good for you two to also see the team again absolutely every time we come and see the guys we we see Gene in them um, we know this is the team that he loved this is the place he loved, and we feel at home every time we're here. The team, it's wonderful, and it's very uh, gracious to us. Now, the walk is when? In early it's October? Be, yeah, it's going to be October the 8th. Is there, is there a connection? I know May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Is is there any type of particular thing that has in September or October that to uh, help create September, a... September, it's the uh, Suicide Prevention Awareness. Mm. So uh, we have become advocates, and we are just... Um, talking and you know helping people in our community so it happens to be October 8th here and then we're going to be doing a suicide awareness walk in Texas on October the 29th. Oh, so you're doing two of them, one, yes. one here and one back home. Absolutely, we're very busy. These are the two communities that he loved and we want to continue supporting both. I would guess that the conversations that you've had with a lot of people have helped A, families and B, also there are probably some youths, young adults who've been touched. Are there any stories you want to share with us just about what it's it's meant to positively impact others and help them? Absolutely. We have had parents come to us and tell us how their children have been dealing with depression and they finally, after having a conversation with us, they had the courage to go ahead and get help. Um, we have had situations where the children, like young adults, have been um, just having suicide thoughts and they happen to see our post because we post on Facebook daily and they decided that they needed the help. So we are blessed every time we, we hear something like that. That's Tony Ramirez, and so good to see her and her husband, Carlos, and to learn more about the walk or participate even, you can go to namiwalks.org, that's N-A-M-I, walks.org, and find the team Ramirez 98. Right now, let's turn our attention to the week gone by, and joining me from Valley Sports Sun this morning from his TV set is Doug Wechter. Doug, good morning, and thanks very much for coming on. What's up, Neil? How are you, buddy? I'm good. Let's uh, let's touch on you know this group this this game today. I mean, you don't want to say must games because the Rays are five and a half up now in the playoff spot over Baltimore, but it certainly would help to win a series against Texas, especially if you want to catch Toronto and get that top wild card spot. Well, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, look, you're going up against a Texas team that has been struggling this year, and on paper, you should take them. They haven't won a series in their last eight attempts. So you're hoping to take this series because we know how tough the rest of the schedule is throughout the rest of the year. And this is one of those teams you want to take advantage of while you got them at Tropicana Field. And look, I mean, it's, it's also a homestand that you want to start off right. I mean, it's a long homestand leading into the last road trip. And you want to 
go ahead and take advantage of being at home. And so, yeah, today is not exactly a must win, but it's something that the Rays are really going to want to take. And a chance to pick up your 49th win at home. I mean, the Rays have almost won two out of every three games at home this year. They're trying to do that in this series, and that really is the reason they're in the spot they're in, right? Oh, 100%. So if you look at every playoff team or potential playoff team, uh, they have to have a home record that is very good. Uh, you're very rarely going to see somebody get to the postseason without winning at home. And, look, the Tampa Bay Rays have done such a good job at Tropicana. They're very comfortable here. They know how to play here with the dimensions. And, you know, that speaks to the guys who came in with the team early in the year, but also to the guys who have come over through trades and via, you know, the minor league system. They've gotten accustomed to playing uh, in the outfield, both in the infield, and with all the guys on the team surroundings. And in general, they've been very comfortable here in St. Pete, and they've just done a great job of putting W's on the board when they play here. Well, certainly it begins with pitching, and the Rays have a guy on the mound today in Jeffrey Springs, so I think all things considered, has probably been one of the unsung guys of this pitching staff. Would you not agree? Oh, no, I totally agree. And finally, we get to talk about the best athletes on the team, Neil. You're talking about the <laughs> pitchers, buddy. Um, Jeffrey Springs, you know, he's a big surprise, at least to me, uh, going into the year. No one or at least I didn't anticipate him picking up this many innings, picking up this many starts, but some injuries in the rotation opened the door, and, boy, he ran through that door and has not given the ball back. He, he has just been so good, uh, has handled right-handers and left-handers very well, has the change-up that – uh, he can throw against anybody in any count. You know, carries a high whiff rate on that, so he has a lot of swing and miss potential. Doesn't walk a lot of batters uh, and can pick up a lot of innings. I mean, he already has 71 more innings this season than he had all of last year. And so we know it's a different role, but still, you would think that he'd be a little fatigued by now. But instead, it seems like he's almost getting better. You know, you look at the last eight starts you put together, he's got a sub-2 ERA. And so, you know, he goes out there, continues to attack these lineups, uh, continues to throw really good stuff and look very successful. So no reason to think that he can't carry that through the rest of the season. One unique thing the Rays did with him, Doug, is two starts ago they shortened him to three innings. And we saw the effect that had in his last start when he threw six shot out against Toronto. We saw it happen with Drew Rasmussen, that he went on that great run and had that near-perfect game after a shortened start. How much do you think this is going to become practice now for pitchers, especially those that don't have a ton of innings under their belt during the course of a long year? Well, you know, you go back to the Drew Rasmussen uh, outing where he only went three innings, and you're thinking, wow, he was pitching so well. Why would you do that and it's easy to second guess you know when it's happening but then you see what happens afterwards right you judge the move off of the next three four five outings and you see how successful it can be and and really like you said Neil it's the same thing with Jeffrey Springs he goes out there on a shortened outing and then all of a sudden comes back looks so much stronger and so much more refreshed and and to be able to do that in the middle of a playoff run and still not really lose a step because the bullpen steps in and does such a good job behind you, uh, I think it's going to be very common practice for the Rays. I mean, they're they're doing such a good job, not just with these two starters, but really in general with the entire staff of you know watching the innings that are pitched, watching the workloads, and trying to give guys rest where they can so that they can really be on an uphill swing, you know, the last few weeks of the season and into the postseason. And uh, I'll tell you, if they continue to go out there and do similar things with other pitchers, I, I see it working with everybody the same way. I, I think it's something very good. It's very good practice to get into, and I see the Rays continuing it. Obviously, what was very impressive was uh, how 
good Shane McClanahan was in his return this week and having guys like that allow you to be more creative with your pitching staff, correct? Boy, Shane McClanahan, you know, coming back off of, you know, missing at least two starts. Uh, I thought he looked as good as you would hope. You know, I was kind of thinking maybe four innings. Who knows how deep he's going to get. He did wind up pitching five innings against a very, very good lineup in Toronto. And he looked like he did in the first half. I mean, he got the ball. He was throwing strikes. You know, it took him a couple innings till he got his tempo and rhythm. But that's understandable, knowing that he did miss those two outings. But, boy, I'll tell you, from the third inning on, he looked like the ace of the staff that we have seen all season long. Uh, fastball was up to 100 miles an hour. The slider was on point. He's got the breaking balls working. The changeup was there. Uh, it's just a really good sign for the Rays, knowing that he's back. He's back to 100%, and he's back to the top of that rotation that you can now pencil in uh, for at least, what, three more starts maybe somewhere in there and, you know, to start game number one of your postseason. Yeah, which I think is the most important thing for this group, right? If they're going to get anywhere, they need to have a healthy Shane McClanahan to go along with Drew Rasmus and a Jeffrey Springs at the top, right? Well, listen, you take Shane McClanahan out of this rotation, it changes it dynamically. And, you know, I think they're a different type of club without Shane. And that's not a good thing. Everybody, you know, you lose the ace of your staff, it's hard to replace. And it's no different with Tampa Bay. And so for Shane to be able to go out there and show that he's healthy, show that he's ready to continue the workload that he had in the first half of the season and, and really be the guy, right, be the, be the stopper for the Rays, um, you know, it's a huge deal. And it just shows that you got your stud back on the mound and every, everything's kind of lining up perfectly behind it. So, um, again, a lot of positive things going the Rays' way right now. Well, certainly one of them w- could happen today with the Durham Bulls. It'll be the third appearance for Tyler Glass now with the Bulls as he tries to work his way back. Kevin Cash has said he's going to need at least one more after this one, but how closely are you watching the Durham box score today just to see how he's doing? Um, I, I guess with a microscope. Is that uh, <laughs> as close as I can look? Of course, I am watching it like a hawk, man. This is so much fun for me to think and just, you know, I guess just think through the scenarios. If this guy comes back and he's healthy and you're even able to get, say, three innings out of him or four innings or wherever he's built up to, to have a guy like last now back would change also – you know, just the way that you go about series, right? You say you got a three-man series. Now you have the potential to open him up, have a Springs come in with the bull crow behind him, or you can use him somewhere else. I mean, it's just he's a game changer, and it's great to see him, you know, on the mend. You know, later on in the program, we're going to hear from Paul Hoover, who works with the catchers. From a pitching standpoint, how impressed have you been with the fact that the Rays have lost Mike Zanino for the better part of this year, and Francisco Mejia and Christian Bethencourt have really picked up the slack. I'll tell you, um, with what Christian Bethencourt and Francisco Mejia have done, and I'll specifically say probably in the last you know month and a half, uh, has been so impressive. You could put their numbers up against any starting catcher, and I'll tell you, they match it just as well. You know, Christian Bethencourt, more of the power guy. I think he has five home runs in his last 18 games. And then you talk about Francisco Mejia. He already has a career high in doubles. Uh, Hits the ball a little bit more on the line, but, you know, he still has a lot of pop in that bat offensively. Both those guys are just doing incredible. But then you talk about defense, right? Bethencourt with the cannon of an arm. I mean, this dude... He jumped on the mound and touched 94 like it was nothing. So you know he's got the arm strength and the ability to throw out base runners. But then so does Mejia. I mean, Mejia's been throwing out guys at a higher clip than he ever has behind the dish. And then you also talk 
about how good he's gotten with blocking and you know framing pitches was not a strength of his last year in the last few years but i'll tell you this year with all the work he's put in and christian bethencourt have put all hoover uh you know i think for me doug what stands out with christian and and you can speak to this as a player and being in a clubhouse is how well he's done just handling the pitching staff how difficult is it for a pitcher or a catcher to learn a pitching staff in the middle of a season, especially on a team that's vying for a playoff spot, and do it fairly seamlessly? Neil, I think that's an awesome question because I think that's the most impressive thing I've seen from Christian Bethencourt. Remember, he wasn't really catching that much when he was with Oakland, so he didn't have a ton of reps in. But, you know, the Rays felt very comfortable and confident in his ability back there. And one of the things that has impressed me the most is how quickly he learned this pitching staff, the rotation, and the bullpen. Now, the Rays are a little bit different. They use their bullpen so frequently. you got to learn the bullpen arms just as quickly as you have to learn, you know, the starting staff. And I, I think for Bethancourt, he's done that. Uh, it started with Corey Kluber. I think he caught him his very first game, and they were 100% in sync. And it goes to show you that uh, Bethancourt has a strong work ethic you know, wants to succeed, wants to do well behind the plate, takes a lot of pride in that, but also has a lot of knowledge on how to call a game. You know, both he and Mejia, when you watch these guys go to work and you watch these guys catch a game, just take notice on how little the pitcher is actually shaking off. I mean, these guys get up there and, and they're in sync the entire time. They're not shaking off. They're, they're getting their pitch and they're going. And that's a good sign of a rapport between catcher and pitcher. And, and that goes to show you how good both Mejia and Bethacord have been. No question about that. One more minute, Doug. Uh, I'm curious, settle for us or, or come up with your answer. Who's the MVP of this team? Our th- top three are McClanahan, Yandy, and uh, Jason Adam. Well, no doubt the offensive MVP would be Yandy. And I was going through some notes today. We're talking about Yandy on the pregame show. And it's hard for me not to give him the MVP overall with the consistency he has put up and just the numbers in general. He's carried this offense at times. He's been on base. I mean, you go back his last what 20 to 30 games and he has almost a 500 on base percentage it's incredible what he has done his slugging percentage is up this year he has over 20 doubles on the year actually i think he has around 30 doubles on the year which puts him second on the team so the power numbers are there uh he's just been so good and then defensively i mean i think you know we don't talk about enough of how good a defensive third baseman he really is i mean he makes some exceptional plays so it's hard for me not to give him the mvp but i'll tell you he is head-to-head with Shea McClanahan because McClanahan, Mac on the mound, has been outstanding. He has been everything you would hope for in a kid with a arm at, you know, bumping 100 miles an hour from the left side. He he is just the maturing process that he has gone to and where he is at right now. Um, it's hard to believe that anybody would be better from the left side than Shane McClanahan moving forward in this season. So it's a toss-up with those two for me. All right, Doug, great stuff. Have a great call today. Okay, buddy, you too. That's Doug Wechter of Bally Sports Sun. Let's turn our attention to the minor league side. Two full-season race affiliates, Bowling Green and Charleston, already are playing for a championship. The youngest Tampa Bay minor leaguers are in Instructional League in Port Charlotte, and joining me to talk about it is field coordinator Al Frede. Al, thanks very much for a few minutes. What does Instructional League now look like? Yeah, of course, Neil. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. But uh, this year is kind of different when we're doing instructional league because it's, uh, uh, like you said, some of the teams are still in playoff. Some of the teams, uh, long season, are playing. Triple uh, A and double A are finishing a little bit later. So we decide to bring our prospects from Latin America and, and mix them in with our guys from the draft. 
and the guys who play the FCL. So we kind of make two teams, and uh, we're going to play a total of 14 games, five against uh, outside competition, four with the Twins, one with the Phillies at the Trop, and uh, nine inner squad games. So that's uh, pretty exciting for this group, and a group that we haven't seen much, especially for the draft kids. Draft kids, um, like everybody knows, they just get drafted, and uh, we want to see them play and kind of uh, have an idea uh, moving forward what we're going to do with them for the offseason and bringing back to spring training with an idea that what we're going to do with them. So approximately how many total players do you have this year between the the, th- the different types of levels? Well, we have uh, between position players and pitchers, we have uh, 60 players, kind of. That's it. We have a couple of guys rehabbing and we're going to have some guys coming back when the seasons are over. So uh, we looking at like around 70 total players in camp. And how, what types of players, when you actually bring someone from their full season, is it someone who was in the FCL and you think they need a little more seasoning or what are the types of things that makes, or someone who was just drafted and they're finishing up with a full season club? Yeah. Some of, I mean, like if, for example, Keegan and, uh, and Brooke Jones and Charleston playoffs, so they haven't had enough reps. So we are probably going to bring them here to continue to, to, to develop and to, for the coordinators and all the staff to see them. And, uh, and and continue his uh, his process, you know. And like like everybody knows, we they play less games now this year, so we got to take advantage of more loose that we got for them to 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 get reps around here. And for some of them, they're longer long seasons. We're just going to bring them here to see where they at and see send the program uh, with them for the off season also. How many instructors do you guys have total or how many staff and and how important generally when I think of instructs, I'm thinking of maybe not one on one, but a lot of individualized uh, work. That's the plan. Uh, We have plenty of staff. I don't know exactly the number right now. If I said it to you, I'm lying, but we got plenty of staff. And like you say, instructs or goal is to instruct. So we have a lot of, not one-on-one, like you say, but probably two-to-one radio with players and staff, and we're taking our time. We're not rushing. We get in the one-on-one, like, like call it a private lesson with a player on defense, on pitching, on catching, on, on, on hitting. So we kind of taking our time to get to know these guys as much as we can and get the instruction as much as we can also. I know as you get to know some kids you're probably working on specific things can you give maybe an example of let's say a pitcher or two whether it's a certain type of pitch you're working on or or improving command of fastball or things of that nature that you would get out of a camp like this yeah some of the guys are working secondary pitches some of them and and command that's why we're playing games that's what we're doing all all we do uh uh, try to repeat and and using games that we haven't done in the past the games in history have been historically they will be very important but now these days teams don't want to play anymore so we're going to have to be creative for what we do and uh of course pitches i mean command uh type of pitching this is a good time to do it for them because it's no season and it's going to be uh, an off season to work on them uh position player wise uh, we're trying guys in in, in center f- in different positions like uh went through those different positions to probably uh this is a new kid that we just draft challenge simpson he was, he hasn't played outfield as much and he's playing a lot of center field this of uh, these uh instructs so you're going to play a lot of center field you're going to try to get better at that and uh and 
other examples that, that I can tell you, uh, infielders, you know how we are in the big league. So infielders got to have to play everywhere. So we're doing that with our draft kits also. Introduce them to uh, new positions, uh, rotate them around, and have them see the value of it. It's pretty cool to see the coordinators coming by, teaching and, and, changing, and teaching this new position to, to these new kids. When you play in these intra-squad games, can you almost force a kid to have to do something like, and the example I give, cause I remember instructional leagues in the past, I used to hear about, well, this kid's you took away the fastball and he's got to throw changeups or he, yeah. he took away his curveball and he has to work on a certain pitch. Is there a lot of that going on? Yeah. It's still a lot of that. Like uh, this kid need to bond once a game. This kid need to steal once a game, even our managers, we force him our managers to do some kind of situational hitting. I mean, we're playing like we give them a card and they have to accomplish like we hit and run, uh, get the men over, get the men in, uh, safety squeeze, uh, sacrifice bunt. So through the game, they have to accomplish those uh, those points. So they forcing the kids to to go back to the fundamental game that that, that we've been and uh, try to teach. And and these guys are doing a great job. Staff is really engaged. The, game, the games are really fun. They're fun, they're teachable. They're competing against each other. We got prizes. It's a it's, it's almost like a World Series for these kids. Beyond the fourteen games, is it kind of split between games and also workouts? Yeah. Some days are just workouts. How do you kind of balance that? Of course, we uh we have through the week we have uh, probably two two camp days through the week, and we playing a, a total. The first two weeks, we're playing four games a week, two with outside competition. And the last two weeks, we're going to play uh, three and three. So we have uh, those camp days to work out. The theme of this instructional league is compete. Compete and instruct. So we're going to teach them to compete, teach them everything we do in the gym, hitting-wise, defensively-wise. Uh, everywhere we do, pitching-wise, is competing. So we're adding points to every team. We divide the teams in two, and, and they come up with names. And uh, they all they do is competing. So at the end of the day, the champion of the instructs is going to have a prize. Uh, that way they they playing for something, not just uh, uh, try to make it fun for the kids. Which is a great idea. I'm guessing beyond that, too, you mentioned, you know, competing even in the weight room, that you want each of these guys to get on the proper program. So in the offseason, next spring, they're coming in a lot stronger or they're Correct. improving in the areas where you think they need to. Yeah, the main goal for them is not to get him stronger in a month, because that's totally impossible. I mean, it could be, but uh, we also, a lot of behind that is, like you said, teach him how to be, how to go to the gym and, and go home with a program, with a purpose to come up next year and uh, be who you need to be. And uh, and this three or four weeks, we're going to teach him how to do that in a, in a detailed process. And individualized too, because every one of these kids is a, a different body type that you're still learning. And in a lot of cases, if they just came from the Dominican or, or from the Academy or from the FCL, they're still growing a lot, right? Correct. No, they usually, we got a lot of young kids here that they start develop, developing and, and knowing their body. And that's uh, like you said, you see a kid six months later than you see him today. And it's a totally different kid. So we got to be careful what we do with them and detail uh, like almost like tailor them what we want them to do to continue to, to develop, especially the guy. Well, some of the guys from the like half of this camp is going to go to the academy and continue to work all the way through December. So uh, it's pretty intense. We're going to play some games over there also, and uh, but we're going to continue to work here. The guys that are going home are the ones that we would need to, you know, really let them know what to do moving forward, how we want them 
uh, coming back from spring training. And that's Rays field coordinator Alfredi on Instructional League. Really good stuff from him. Let's turn our attention to uh, scouting as the Rays try and move closer to a postseason spot. And joining me is Senior Director of Player Personnel and Pro Scouting for the Rays. That's Kevin Eibach. Kevin, tell me, how do you plan right now with such a, a muddied playoff picture? September is always a busy month for all the right reasons for us. Uh, the last few years, our group specifically is out both via video and, and live in stadium looks, just kind of scouting potential opponents for the postseason. Certainly, we have to do our part and win games and, and put ourselves in position to make the postseason. Um, but in, in the event that we do, certainly want to be prepared with any potential opponents that we may face. That basically leads us to a, a plethora of live looks, video looks, uh, really digging deep into, into those potential opponents and seeing uh, how they match up and if there's anything that we could potentially exploit. The fact that there are so many meetings head-to-head, face-to-face here in the month of September and October with Houston, with Cleveland, with Toronto, with New York prior, how much does that help or not help? Do you want it closer to the end of the season? What matters most in terms of scouting? Well, I, th- I think this year is certainly unique. You know, like you said, we play Houston several times down the stretch. We play Cleveland. These are the same teams we could be potentially playing in the postseason. So from our, our vantage point, it actually makes us uh, start our process a little bit earlier because not only would we be scouting for potential playoff opponents, um, but you're also scouting for games that are going to be crucial down the stretch here. So getting our scouts into ballparks maybe a week or two earlier in advance of playing a Houston or playing a Cleveland is, is even more important this year than maybe in previous years because uh, all those games are going to certainly decide who makes the postseason and who doesn't. So getting ahead of that uh, this year and starting a little bit earlier has, has been something that's been on the forefront of our minds. Do you play the odds at all? I mean, when I say that is, you know, like a Minnesota or Chicago is further back, but there's still a chance they could catch Cleveland, you know, you don't know if you're going to have to go face a, a Baltimore potentially if they were to make the playoffs at Seattle and Toronto. Do you put more of your resources there? What, what's the focus in terms of your resources? Playing the, the prognosticator role is, is always going to be tough. This year, certainly with the added playoff spot, the added wild card spot, um, just makes it even more hectic as we as we try to plan down the stretch. You know, I think that fortunately we have a lot of personnel uh, in the pro scouting department um, that we're able to divide up on, on all the potential playoff opponents. And then I think you just have to look at, you know, familiarity with the opponent. Teams like New York, Toronto, even Baltimore, um, you know, those teams we play so much in the American League East that I think our coaching staff feels fairly familiar with, you know, their tendencies and their game strategies, uh, certainly more so than maybe a Chicago White Sox or Cleveland or Seattle. So, you know, I, I think we have to do a little bit of extra work on those American League Central and American League West teams every year, um, just comparatively speaking to, to those in our division. But certainly adding that extra playoff spot this year has, has made it a little tricky, you know, and with a lot of people, a lot of teams in contention down the stretch here, um, you know, it's made a little bit more of a challenge for but a challenge that, you know, we we enjoy undertaking because it certainly beats, uh, you know, not having anyone to advance this time of year. You mentioned that the staff knows Toronto and New York tendencies. Are there little things that you guys can glean from those that can help? Is that what you're looking for when you face teams like that? Yeah, I, th- I think advanced scouting is a, is a completely different area of scouting than, than what we may do in July for a trade. And, uh, you know, I think when we scout for trades, we're looking for projection. It might be a minor leaguer you know, that a prospect that's on its way up that, that hasn't enjoyed success at the major league level and you're trying to predict, you know, how successful that 
player skill set will be, you know, as they move up the chain and uh, as they get to the major league level. I think when you look at advanced scouting, as you alluded to, I think you're looking at tendencies, you're looking at how they utilize their bench, you're looking, you know, just how they utilize their bullpen, you know, just to try to get Kevin Cash and his group up there the most information possible so that they can game plan and prepare for a series. And and again, with the American League East, we face those teams a lot. But as you know, certainly our roster changes a lot from, you know, April through the end of the season, as does every other roster in baseball. So there's going to be pitchers that we're more familiar with that have been on, you know, a Yankees roster per se, like all all season versus a, a player that's coming off an injured list or even someone that adjusts throughout the year. It may have been on the roster all year long, but may have adjusted their, you know, intent at the plate. Uh, may have adjusted their pitch selection on their pitch usage. You know, I think baseball's such a game of adjustments and how you adjust to the league that if you're working off of information from a series that we played even two or three weeks ago, it may be outdated information. So you're always trying to stay ahead of that, you know, and then being there both in person on video and, and, and just trying to see as much uh, of how these players have adjusted and what may have changed since our last look at them. Do you usually keep same person on same team or based on as things get closer, does that change much? If let's say you think, hey, it's more likely we face Cleveland, let's put a second or third guy on them to to see what else we can get. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think in, in previous years, when the playoff picture was a little bit more set and there was one less playoff spot, we were able to double up on, on a lot of our teams. Um, and I think maybe hopefully we'll get to that place this year. Um, as of right now, because we're a little spread thin, it's it's typically just one scout per team. And we can adjust as we go. I think that, you know, certainly there's going to be two teams that have a, a buy in the first round. And at some point, you know, those teams that are running away with those, you know, being in the pole position per se there, I think that those teams, uh, you know, may not, play their big guys down the stretch. So you're trying to get out in front of that and see those teams maybe a little bit earlier before they, you know, shut down some of their players or rest some of their arms that they may typically throw in a game. And then as we need to adjust going on, you know, we will move scouts around and maybe double up as we get a little bit, as as we achieve a little more clarity down the stretch, hopefully. Um, I think that's easier to do. Right now, I, I think just as a fan would sit there and, and look in the standings every morning and it's a little bit different, we're doing the same thing. And I, I wish I had that crystal ball and knew exactly, you know, what matchup might be most likely if we're fortunate enough to make the playoffs. And, you know, but I think that changes on a nightly basis. So it's it's a little bit of a fool's errand to try to stay too far ahead of that. And you have to trust your personnel and, and trust their their length of the look, if anything. I, I think that you can overcome a lot if you are with a with the same team multiple weeks in a row and get, you know, achieve a level of familiarity that's greater than trying to switch everybody around from series to series. And I'm also curious, obviously the Rays are so active in the trade market. Does this prevent looks at players, the minor league level, which has had an extended season or the instructional league, which is going on as we speak? Yeah. You know, I think that fortunately we've always had the benefit of having a rather large staff on the pro scouting side here with Tampa. And it's, it's something that, you know, certainly running the department that I've always been very fortunate fortunate to, uh, you know, to have such a deep staff. So we do have a handful of our scouts that are entrenched in instructional leagues right now, entrenched in uh, minor league playoff baseball or AAA baseball that's still going on. So we do have 
you know, enough bodies to kind of spread around and, and still be on top of things from a trade perspective. And then I think too, you know, you, you mentioned instructionally that has changed over the years. I think every year is a little bit different. Philosophies have changed. You know, when I first started doing this 22 years ago, everybody played an extensive instructionally game schedule where you could sit in uh, in Florida or Arizona for a month and see a lot of players. Now I think everything is so hyper individualized at the on the player development side that a lot of teams uh, don't play traditional games that are they're easier to scout. They do a lot of mini camps. Some teams take the philosophy of we're going to shut down our players as soon as the season's over, give them a breather and bring them back in January. So there's certain camps that are not even open. And then you still have some teams that do play a handful of games. What we found out is I think Arizona in general seems to have a more intense uh, game schedule that lasts about a month, you know, into late October. Whereas Florida, you know, maybe it's hurricane season. Um, You know, the weather certainly plays more of a factor in Florida, but Florida tends to have less games in, in more of those focused mini camps, which are, uh, which are a little bit tougher to scout from, from our standpoint. And I guess with the large staff you have, it will help next year when you have to play every team. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the beauty of, you know, having the, the infrastructure to, um, you know, to scout and to be in a lot of places at once is, you know, it affords a depth of a look that not every team gets. And, you know, I've said it time and time again that, you know, from ownership on down in this organization, the commitment to, you know, to our infrastructure and our commitment to, you know, really utilizing all of the humans we have over here, you know, a second to none. You know, I've worked several other places in my career and, you know, the commitment to our people here is great. And I think it pays dividends. I think the return on investment uh, speaks for itself over the years with some of the trades that we've made, you know, certainly some of the scouting efforts that we've made. um, So very fortunate for that. Interesting perspective from the Rays head of pro scouting and player development, Kevin Eibach, on how the Rays handle pro scouting. Uh, especially as we come down the stretch of a potential postseason run. Tampa Bay again starting the day five and a half up on Baltimore for the final playoff spot in the second wild card, a game and a half behind Toronto for the top wild card spot. As mentioned, the Rays in a playoff position right now, despite Mike Zanino missing most of the year due to injury behind the play. So I asked Paul Hoover, who works with the Rays catchers, how the group has responded this year, especially in Zanino's absence. Z's an uh, integral part of our pitching staff as well as a team leader and a lineup. I know he, he was off to a slow start this year, but it was unfortunate for us t- to lose him. But at the same time, it gives an opportunity to Frankie to play more. And now we pick up a Betancourt and those guys have an opportunity to play and they've, they've kind of taken off with their opportunity and making us, making us relevant again. And so it's, it's a good opportunity for them, and they're stepping up in the way that you would hope that a backup or the next guy would step up. Let's touch on Francisco Mejia first. How has he grown this year, and where has he grown the most? Well, first off, he's getting an opportunity, right? So, like, you, you really don't know until you get an opportunity. But he, he's just he's maturing more. He's, he's able to be vocal. I think the atmosphere that is, is created here from, from at the top, to the bottom is that allows him to be himself and be open and so that in itself and then him communicating with the players or with the pitchers in particular and he's just a, d- a different player than he was last year not, with nothing to do with on the field stuff just the way he's handling himself the way he's going about his business he's he's growing up he's maturing and he's getting opportunities making the most of it do we forget sometimes how young he was when he joined this organization still 
I mean, I think we all do. I mean, he, he's been around, like he's been a top prospect for a while and he's been around for a while. So you just expect that that comes with age, but he was that prospect at a really young age and we get him after Cleveland passed on him and San Diego passed on him and we get an opportunity and he has a clean slate and he's, like I said, making the most of his opportunities. He's doing a nice job for us. On the field, where has he grown the most? Because it looks like he's throwing well, he's blocking much better. Where do you see the biggest growth? I I mean, again, the the skills and the tools he's always had, it's just trying to get them to come out a little bit more consistently. He's put a lot of work in. He's worked his tail off from the day we got him through last year and even this year with him playing more he's just really worked really hard and he's putting himself in position to be to be successful day in and day out on the other side you mentioned a christian bethencourt who was added during the season first how hard is it to learn a new staff in the middle of the year especially while you're in a playoff race i mean kudos to him I've, I've, we've told him numerous times already him coming over here and getting up to speed with what kyle and stan want from the pitchers and then trying some new things with us in the catching area and then meanwhile continuing to hit and get an opportunity to play like he's been super open-minded and he's he's been open to all the information he's gotten and it's super difficult like you said especially when we got him there's no really no wiggle room we we needed to win each night and trying to get him up to speed and and try to help them get better, but at the same time, be mindful of what we're trying to do as a team. Is really kudos to him and being and being open and coming here and just kind of letting us help him if we could. You know, we're in football season, and sometimes if you're a new quarterback, they simplify the playbook. But what can you do for a catcher to simplify it for him when he's new to learn a new staff and help him out? Nah, there's really nothing. I mean, we could tell him or we could show him plots or we could show him video. We could show him a lot of the stuff, but until he physically gets down there and catches and see what the ball does. Obviously, our philosophy is the same and our philosophy is really simple, but getting to know the guys, the ins and outs and what, what they can do and what they can't do just takes just takes reps. And this group to catch, too, because of the stuff they have is very, very difficult for the most part, right? And super unique, right? Yeah, so, like, difficult with different arms, different actions. Guys, different guys have strengths and weaknesses and getting to know all those. But, like, Kyle Stan, Jay Money, they all do a really good job of getting the catchers up to speed on what the pitcher's strengths are. And the way they do it makes it really simple for the catchers. So, But, like I said, with him coming here, CB coming here and, all that on his plate and he's done a, he's done a really nice job to to, to separate and, and learn that stuff but at the same time still get an opportunity and perform what does he do best from a defensive standpoint for you my god i mean you that that his arm strength is incredible right like the other day fam took off on springs he was a 176 and we got cb throwing a 170 on the bag which is incredible he his his arm strength is really good but he also exchanges and has good footwork and gets the ball just really accurate right and he's we're trying different things with the receiving and he's just he's just progressing he's 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 doing a really nice job and he's getting he's getting a lot better and as we work down the stretch how good do you feel just about the tandem and the way they've worked together and the way they've helped the staff oh I, i feel i feel i'll speak for myself feel really really good i mean when you when you lose zanino you're kind of worried of what's going to happen. But the way Frankie stepped up, the way Betancourt's gotten here and been able to contribute and even get better, I would have never thought I would have said this when, when Z got hurt, but I, I think we're in a good spot, and, and hopefully they can continue to get better and help us win games.
Really good perspective from Paul Hoover on the race catchers and how Tampa Bay has handled so far this year. Life without one Mike Sanino. Now the team has weathered plenty of starting pitcher injuries too. And with innings certainly a question mark, I asked pitching coach Kyle Snyder about how they are monitoring the group down the stretch. To give ourselves the best chance, you know, uh, we, we have to, to really stay out in front on, you know, just where the guys are. Uh, the transparency matters now more than ever, trusting the indicators that we heavily rely on, and also understanding that, you know, the closer to full strength that we are, the more we can actually lean on our bullpen, you know, when it matters most. And uh, at the same time being, you know, very aware of the fact that we got a couple of guys in our rotation right now that, you know, have not been you know, starters at the big league level before, you know, I mean, Rask got 10 starts, I believe, beneath him last year. But with him and Jeffrey, you know, it's important to be mindful of that. You know, and Corey coming off of 80 innings last year, but not throwing a whole lot before, you know, the two previous years before that. But if we were just simply to have gone on, you know, whether it be arbitrary figures or just, you know, um, trying to be sensible about what they're capable of, I don't think we would be in the position that we're in as well, you know, so it's balancing a little bit of those things. And I think some of these modern indicators that we are able to work from have helped us uh, manage that in the process. Have those three guys that you mentioned, Rass, Springs, and Kluber, been more impressive than you would have hoped for going into this year with the amount of innings they've had? And not only that, but the quality? Oh, that goes without saying, I think. Just, I mean... The seasons that those three guys have had, the innings that the Kluber has pitched, and and how well he's performed in tough in tough spots, and and even still, like even with his numbers, like he's he he's not been very fortunate in terms of batting average on balls in play. If you look beneath the surface, he's had much better year than than maybe a high three or a low four would indicate. And and the other two guys have just been phenomenal. I mean, I, you if you'd have told me that that's where we'd be in September. I'm not too certain I would have believed you, you know, to be entirely honest. I, I believe in these guys as much as anybody, but, like, you know, they've just, they've, they've really, they've done a phenomenal job, and we would not be where we are right now without, you know, the productivity that we've gotten out of that group. Would you also not have believed me if I told you that Jason Adam would be the Jason Adam you've had this year too? Well, I mean, probably not as much because, you know, Stan's been here for, Oh, 12, 13 years, and uh, bullpen reclamation projects have, uh, have have been his forte to this point. So not as surprised in that one, but uh, certainly another guy that's just had a phenomenal year and a large part of why we are where we are. Tyler Glasnell, what are your hopes? I mean, are you 50-50 that you'll have him at some point this year or even for the postseason? And what would it mean if he does, even if he's a two-inning opener? Well, anytime you can add Tyler Glass now or a talent like Tyler's to uh, to a roster in any capacity, it's it, it's certainly a boon for what your you know what your team's capable of doing. I, I would give it probably north of fifty percent at this point, just given how he's progressed. As someone who has always looked big picture for these pitchers, how much thought have you given? Because we haven't asked you since it happened to potentially having Tyler and Shane front a rotation for 23 and 24 as focused as you are on 22 there's talented as any right and left-handed starter in the game you know I it's exciting and needless to say uh, to, to see the potential that those two could bring not just to a regular season and you know the 
you know, the focus of trying to win a pennant, but, you know, what those guys could be in an October setting, as talented as they are, is, is, is a really exciting, you know, just, just to see that as a possibility for any of us, I think really makes us all really excited. And you said at the top of this how important it is this late in the year for guys to be transparent. Have guys, by and large, held to that? I know how good you guys are about monitoring. Yeah, no, I, I, the group is great. And, and usually by now, you know, hopefully, you know, the goal to start the spring training, uh, whether they're, they're new guys or new roles, you know, um, the relationship, the depth of the relationship, uh, the, the hope of building trust and, and, and the players having confidence in our ability to manage them, the transparency generally comes with that. And, you know, by now, uh, I, I, I would hope that would be the case. And, the biggest key for Stan and myself is to allow these guys to get beyond this uh, admission of weakness or however they perceive them telling us about how they genuinely feel physically. If they can get beyond that, then that does nothing more than help us manage them better and give us the best chance to be at that full strength when it really matters most. And that's the race pitching coach Kyle Snatter with really good perspective on the Tampa Bay pitching staff. And we certainly want to thank Kyle and All of the guests on the program on today's show, including Jonathan Aranda, who this week picked up his first Major League homer, as well as Tony Ramirez, the mom of a late raised bullpen coach, Gene Ramirez. Hopefully you'll join the walk they're participating in. You can find out more by listening back on Apple, Spotify this week. Doug Wechter joining us from Bally Sports Sun, as well as race field coordinator Al Frede. Kevin Eibach, the head of pro scouting and uh, uh, pro player development, as well as Paul Hoover, who works with the Rays catchers. Now, if you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so at Neil Solons. Next week, you'll hear from whoever is named the team MVP, plus much more on the playoff races. Special thanks today to Chris Miller on site, as well as Steve Versnick, and back in our network studios, Derek Dubose. I'm Neil Solons. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Rays Baseball Network. For listening to This Week in Rays Baseball, Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.